Welcome back to another episode of AT Talks. We're still working on the athletic training student and the early career athletic training guide. This is a bonus episode, and I'm with Dylan today. We're going to talk about emergency preparedness slash equipment slash handing that emergency situation to EMS. Kind of, he's he's a, he's a professional. He knows it all. He's going to talk. I'm just going to sit here and listen. Dylan, could you introduce yourself to the seven people that watch this? <laughs> we'll, we'll get you up to eight after this one. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'm, a, I'm an athletic trainer and emergency medical technician. Um, I currently work uh, in the North American Hockey League for a team called the Amarillo Bulls in Amarillo, Texas. Um, prior to that, I worked at Colorado College within their rec sports. Um, and then prior to that, I worked uh, covering special event EMS, specifically sporting event EMS, um, in addition to concert and other things of that nature. And then uh, my undergrad in athletic training is from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. That's where the majority of my 911 experience uh, as an EMT comes from, because I worked for the local fire department there um, while I was a student there. Um, I like to say that athletic training is my career, emergency medicine, and athletic training is my passion. Um, so that's, that's what I do in my free time, um, especially because our athletes' lives depend on it. So we better be good at it. Yeah, and if you're not following uh, Dylan on Twitter, follow him because he's putting up all this great uh, emergency everything, A, A to Z, he's putting it all out there. He's even doing 20 minutes of CPR, man, and 10 seconds. Heck yeah! I was so <laughs> I was so impressed with that video. I was so I was like, wow, that's awesome. All right, so let's yeah. let's say um, let's say hey, welcome to the team. You're coming to East Chicago. That's where I work. Everybody, here's your keys. You're gonna start tomorrow. What are what are the, what are the things you're gonna look for? when you get to the school in terms of emergency equipment? Right. Day one, I'm looking for an AED. That's got, that's gotta be it. Um, and, and if I don't have an AED, I am sitting in my, in my, uh, ADs or whoever's office. And I'm saying I need an AED. Um, most schools should have an AED already. Now it doesn't need to necessarily be an athletics dedicated AED. I just need to make sure that there's an AED that I have a key to get to or that it's easily accessible some way that other people can get, um, get to where it needs to be. Um, that's, that's, I, that's probably even pre day one, day one. Um, that's me looking around, um, as I'm doing my interview, um, and, and talking with them, I'm making sure that they, that athlete safety is their priority, just, you know, or, or, and if they're honest, they'll, they'll say, Hey, we don't have an AED, but that's something that we can definitely work on. Um, so I always make sure that there's an AED and I, I know, I think that, um, some states even require public schools to to have AEDs with them. So just, just making sure that there's something on campus. Um, that's that's got to be got to be there. That's essential. Um, the rest the rest of the equipment. Um, I'll get into kind of what I carry um, my my emergency bag in a little bit. But you know you you want to look at your splints. You want to look at um, um, you know your stop the bleed supplies. Your tourniquets. Your um, your gauze, uh, your quick clot, you know, kind of those, those life-saving things. I, I, if, if it's AED, stop the bleed, splints are kind of my, my top three that I'm making sure are there. Um, within the first week, AED is definitely first hour that I'm getting, that I'm there for sure. Okay. So they go, yep, yeah, we got an AED, it's outside the gym. What are the things that you um, go through and check to make sure the AEDs functional and ready for emergency use. Right. So every AED is different. Um, so the AED that I have at work, um, it's a cardiac science power heart G3. It's got a little rescue ready indicator type deal. And it's either a, um, it's either because so I'm colorblind, but I can still tell that it's a green, green circle because that's what the manufacturer told me. It's either a green circle or a red X and I don't see an X. So I know it's a green circle. Um, other AEDs have a flashing light. Um, I'm looking at the manufacturer and saying, what is your, what is your status? Others have the word okay with a battery charge indicator on it. It all just depends on, you know, I'm making sure that there's that. Now I'm making sure that I have um, pads that are attached to the AED. Um, so I actually learned something new when I first got to this job, checked my AED that first hour, I noticed, um, that I had an error code on my AED. Like, well, this isn't good at all. Um, I actually had ended up sending it into cardiac science and they said, your pads are wrong. So I'm making sure that my pads are connected. Cause if I've got some pads that are, my pads weren't expired, but there was a fault within the pads. So 
Um, now when I do a, a daily check, I check for that readiness indicator. I make sure my pads are, my pads are plugged in and that I still have a good ready indicator um, and that I've got enough battery power. And depending on, you know, your setting, I'm going to make sure that I have um, maybe a, a towel to, to wipe off sweat or, or um, water if I'm by a pool. I'm going to have a razor to make sure that I have... Um, that I can, you know, have a, have a bare chest to, to place the pads in. Um, and you know, it's not necessarily essential. Um, but I would like a second set of pads with the AED, just God forbid in case something were to happen. Um, and then preferably a bag valve mask, um, or just some form of CPR pocket mask, um, CPR shield, something along that nature, um, all should be contained within the AED itself. Um, and that's what I'm making sure is there. I do. I, um, that's the first thing I do when I get into work every day is I check my AED and then I also document that my AED is good to go for the day. Um, just making sure that, that everything's good. And, uh, fun fact for anybody watching this, all the AEDs I've ever practiced on had a shock button, typically like a triangle. So you'd be like, mm -hmm. shock, it'd be like, shock advice. And you're like, everybody off shock. Woo. The AED I have now, it, it'll do it itself. It'll yes. say shock, shock advice, and then it'll do a countdown itself. And I had I YouTube that because I was like, "There's no shock button, so how do I deliver a shock?" And the YouTube mm -hmm. manufacturer video said it's going to do it by itself. So, cool. All yeah. right. So what other what other goodies besides it? You mentioned uh, stop the bleed. Yeah, I didn't yep. hear of that until about a year ago. And when I when yeah. I brought that to my nurse, my nurse was like, "Oh, we've had those for years. They're behind the they're behind the AEDs." little pouch mm -hmm. with some stuff in there. So what does a stop yeah. the bleed consist of? So, so stop the bleed. Um, there's, there's a, there's an official training that you can, that you can attend. It's put on the, by the American uh, Academy of Surgeons, um, the national association of EMTs department of defense. They all kind of got together. Um, I believe it was created after the Sandy Hook massacre. Um, after there was a large loss of life due to, due to blood volume loss in that situation. Um, but basically what it is, is it's life-threatening bleeding and how to manage life-threatening bleeding. Most people think life-threatening bleeding tourniquets. Um, so your stop the bleed kits are going to have a tourniquet in them. Um, they might have some form of wound packing gauze. There's specific wound packing gauze. And then there's also, um, you know, just rolled gauze, things of that nature. You might also have quick clot, which is a, um, it's a hemostatic style gauze. Most of the time it's got a shellfish protein um that is in it that uh, clots now people who are allergic to selfish don't need to worry about it it's it's okay to use you don't have to worry about having an allergic reaction to it um that helps clot the bleeding um you might have a, a chest seal in there um just things that things that can stop bleeding in, in a relatively quick matter of fact now i mentioned that it's going to have a tourniquet in there something that i always check when i'm checking my stop the bleed kits is making sure that i have a real genuine tourniquet there's a lot of fake tourniquets out there. Um, and when I get into kind of showing my kit a little bit later, I'll point out how to tell um, if you have an actual tourniquet um, that, that is approved to, to help um, in those situations. Um, and most times, like, like what your nurse had said, most times the stop the bleed kit are going to be either in the same wall mounted cabinet as your AED, or it's going to be right next to your AED. Um, it's normally in a red, um, red kind of bleeding control type of um case or or bag or whatever it might be before we get into the uh your bag which no spoilers you yeah. can you can tell the world what your bag's called later but um <laughs> I, i'm interested in and how do we make um calling ems delivering that information and transfer of care efficient as possible because uh, almost every fall so, season i have to call 911 at least once so let's go yeah. with athletes down in the field I have an AD, I have a SAM splint, and that's basic. That's basically my tools. So I call, I go, I make my X. That's everyone knows. Nine one one. So we call nine one one, or a police officer will radio nine one one. From that point on, what information are those people looking for? So the way that I have my emergency action plan written out is there's a section in there that talks about emergency communication, which you mentioned it's either a radio, a phone call, your hand signal to the signal, hey, let's get EMS here. That should all be documented in your emergency action plan as you build it. Um, 
but I also have in a completely different colored font bolded. This is what you say when you call 911. Um, and it's basically, there is a medical emergency happening at the address of whatever the, the place is. And I wrote down the address. We need emergency medical services or an ambulance or things of that nature to respond. There's currently care being provided to the, to the injured person, to the athlete, to the patient, whatever you want to say, by our athletic trainer. They are currently doing, and then there's a blank spot. The athletic trainer should at least sell CPR, bleeding control, um, mobilization, something just briefly. That's all that dispatch really needs to know is that there's somebody providing a form of care. Um, and then the last, um, and then after they say that, there'll be, there'll be somebody there to flag EMS down. Mm -hmm. Do you have any questions or directives for us? And then I make sure that the person who called 911 is the person who hangs up last on the phone um, because dispatch might walk you through a few things. They might ask you to make sure all, excuse me, all the doors are unlocked, things that, things that should already be documented in your EAP, but they're going to run through and make sure that's fine. People kind of freak out because they're like, oh, they're not going to get, they're not, ambulance isn't going to come until I hang up. It's not the case. Dispatch is already, the second you say, I've got a medical emergency at this address, an ambulance is on the way. Um, they've, they've already got it out there. Most, most dispatch centers that I have seen have two separate dispatchers where they have the person taking the phone call and they have the person dispatching the ambulance or the fire truck or the police car um, to the actual area. So now the athletic trainer, I don't think, unless you're the only, you know, only person there, I don't think that the athletic trainer should be the one making that phone call. That should be um, a game administrator, the police officer, like you mentioned, somebody else. So the athletic trainer can focus on providing appropriate care to the athlete. Now I'm going to be doing whatever, whatever I'm trained in and whatever tools I have, if it's CPR, AED use, splinting, whatever it is, that's what I'm going to be doing as the athletic trainer while I'm waiting for, for EMS. Um, I should, you know, I, I, I might check and make sure that I have somebody going to go and flag down EMS. In my personal experience driving, um, lights and sirens to a call. I'm always looking for that person who's waving their arms frantically because that's going to help me out. And most likely they're going to know the correct pathway because sometimes I might not know how to get in. Um, might be traffic, a gate might be locked. They're going to most likely know or have keys that, that will go um, to, to where it needs to be. So athletic trainers providing care, EMS walks up. The athletic trainer, I'm going to look at them. I'm going to say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm the athletic trainer. We have a 18-year-old male, cardiac, you know, witnessed cardiac arrest approximately five minutes ago. Immediate CPR was started. Patient has been shocked two times, one time, whatever it is. Um, you know, they've so, been is easy it, is to tag. Is this on the phone in the report or when the ambulance gets there and you no, jump so out this of the is when, you your... this is, Yeah, this is when EMS gets there. All right, so, so, this so, is so, the... yep. so EMS arrives, your gates are open, you're waving them down, they come on in, come out with your cot, you come onto yep. the field. And that here, I, here I am. I'm stable in C spine. I see yep, you. All right. So what what is the information I need to get to you while you're walking over to me? So um, you know, normally, see, so for for athletic trainers and and for most parts, you know, we have to be the calm in the situation. So I'm going to wait until the EMS prov provider goes. What you know? What's going on? Or, or or who are you? Or things of that nature. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to identify myself as an athletic trainer. Um, and most of the time, hopefully, um, the EMS professional knows what an athletic trainer is and is not going to assume that we're a coach, somebody who just lifts weight, somebody who just deals with water. Um, so, so hopefully they know that if not, then I'm going to say I'm a qualified healthcare provider, you know, a healthcare professional, something along that, those natures. Um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to say roughly, you know, if I'm in a secondary school setting, I'm going to say we have a 16 year old. It doesn't have to be an exact age. If you don't know the exact age, just a general idea. We have a 16, we have a 60. If it's a fan, whatever it might be, year old, male, female, um, whatever their injury, whatever you differentially diagnosed as their injury, open fracture, open lower leg fracture, cervical spine fracture, things of that nature. And then what you deem to be pertinent medical history to that. So, you know, they have, 
they report no feeling below their chest. They cannot move their legs um, or their legs are numb. They have C-spine pain, um, things of that nature. Just, just those quick, brief kind of, you know, this is what made me call you. That, that's kind of what I should be delivering to, to, the, um, to the EMS is this is why I called because this is what I've deemed as, as the emergency. Um, and then allow the, the, the paramedics or, or EMS to, to ask their questions. They might ask questions. Um, they might start doing their evaluation. Um, kind of just let them do what they're going to do and, and, you know, talk with them. Hopefully you've got a decent enough relationship where they, where they know who you are and trust you. Um, I, I, I've heard the stories and the stories make me just as angry of paramedics and, and EMS kind of pushing athletic trainers to the side. I understand how frustrating that is. That's not how it should be whatsoever. Sometimes we can't just fix people's attitudes. Just let it go. They're, they're, the, they're now taking over the scene. Let it happen. Deal with it post-emergency. Um, so I'm just telling them, age, this is what made me call you. This is what I've done. Um, this is what, you know, if they ask, this is what I think we should do, you know, what, whatever it might be. And then work hand in hand with them um, together. Say, you know, I've got the head. I'm good on the head if you're mobilizing C-spine whatever it might be. And then, and then, you know, just, just talk with them through things. All right. So we deliver the information, they transfer of care, they get them packaged, they get them in there, they're gone. Okay. Second scenario, which is not a serious scenario I have in my school, but let's say EMS is there. It's football. They're there. It's Friday night. They're going to be there for the game. They're not going to leave uh, medical timeout and going over there, introducing yourself, what information, um, absolutely are you going to give to those uh two or three people correct um so it depends it depends on on your situation your scenario um and, and who all is there so in my medical timeout i'm going to have my team my team doctor the visiting team athletic trainer if there is one um and then my ems um, all medical professionals who are going to be there in my setting i also include my equipment manager because he's the one who's going to be getting all my gear for me so um, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to say, you know, whether it's radios, um, hand signals. I know you mentioned this. For me, it's this. Um, whatever the hand signal is, I'm going to make sure everybody's on the same page there. And what, you know, I know some people have multiple hand signals for, oh, I need the AED versus I need the splint. I'm going to make sure that everybody kind of understands where all of that is. Then I'm also going to ask EMS, um, are you transport capable? Can you transport? Um, in my, in my settings and my scenarios, I've never met in private company that won't transport, but I know that they're out there and they've happened. Um, so just having that idea of if we need to call 911, I, to actually transport somebody while we're taking care of this patient, I want to make sure that somebody's getting that taken care of while we're transporting the patient. So it's something just good to have in the back of my mind as well. And then the other thing to is there anything that I always end? Is there anything that you would like me to know, or is there anything that you need from me? Um, I know um, from my own personal experience is covering um, covering sporting events. I always liked to make sure that I had a great, you know, athletic trainers always, you know, they always fight for good good position on the field or or the court to make sure that they see. Sometimes we have fans block us, things of that nature. Your EMS should have just as good as seats as you do. Um, whether it's on the sideline, whether it's on the end zone, whatever it be, making sure EMS can see it and that they can see and that they have easily and uh, accessible equipment there um, and that their equipment is secure. Um, so uh, secure for two reasons. One, EMS, just like athletic trainers, we have cool equipment. People want to touch things and, and play around with it. And then the other thing, too, is um, if you've got a paramedic, they most likely have narcotic pain medicine somewhere with them or close to them. Um, so you want to make sure that nobody tampers with that as well. Um, so just, just, uh, the, the medical timeout to me is to really get everybody on the same page about the EM, EAP. I might pass out, uh, printed out copy of the EAP, um, make sure everybody's on the same page, um, and that we're all going to handle, uh, an emergency well if needed. All right. So I, what I have, I have an AD, I have a long and a short SAM splint. And that and the stop and bleed kit, and I have a non cat tourniquet. 
<laughs> so what what equipment you have so that's the equipment that you have what is the equipment you are lobbying to get and purchase um either in the next year or the next two years or three years with your athletic director in sports what other equipment do you want to add to that so my first ad would be a bag valve mask um as as healthcare professionals we're kind of moving toward more and more towards not providing mouth-to-mouth breaths especially with with 2020 and and coronavirus um a lot of people are starting to not do the breath mouth-to-mouth breaths anymore bag valve mask is just as good um so i'm i'm going to be pushing for a bag valve mask i'm going to be pushing for an airway um some form of airway adjunct whether that's an opa and oropharyngeal airway or an NPA and nasal pharyngeal airway. Those are both easily within the scope of athletic trainers and every athletic trainer should be trained in them. They're pretty easy to put in. Um, or a form of a more advanced airway, which is still within our scope, um, like a King tube, a Combi tube, an eye gel, something that can help me secure the airway. Um, if you want to, I know um, that some people have issues, but vacuum splints is another thing that I might look into purchasing. Um, some people like, depending on your state and your standing, physician orders emergency medicine, um, whether that's um, Narcan, epinephrine, um, things of that nature that you can carry with you. Um, and then th- those are really the big ones for vitals, um, vitals equipment, you know, a blood pressure cuff, a stethoscope, a thermometer, um, all, all of that as well, um, I, I think are all essential things to have. Um, you know, in, in my situation, um, you know, and, and in talking with, with you and others, without including the AED, um, you can probably get all of your emergency equipment for 900 bucks or so, 850 bucks, something like that, um, which is a lot of money. And for some schools, that's a budget. That's the whole, that's the whole budget. Um, so just kind of working and saving up, buying one thing at a time. You know, go, go to Walmart and buy a blood pressure cuff for, for 30 bucks now I've got that. Um, so just slowly building up. That's how I built my first, my first, um, training room of, of, um, of emergency equipment is just buying one thing at a time. And I know in the Wolfpack, we, we talked uh, very extensive about this in the OPAs and MPAs. Uh, so let's say, let's say you're like, Hey, we did that for like an hour, one day, three years ago in school. And I'm not really confident in that. Where, where are we looking to get that training? So um, I know that um, the NATA, at least in Vegas, I believe that they had a training scenario um, setting where you could practice putting in those more advanced airways. Um, also, that's where your relationships with EMS come into handy. Um, that's when you can contact them and say, hey, are you all doing a basic airway lab anytime soon? Um, is there any chance I, I might be able to join, join with you on that? um and 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 work with them and and most of the time they'll say you know i've i coming from my experience and my background i've been the ems company so we've never had an issue saying no because i'm going to promote it and say yes um and, and i've got a great relationship with my ems currently so that I, I have no no worries in them saying no um but definitely do not purchase and or use items that you have not been trained in and do not feel comfortable with because you can cause way more harm mm-hmm. than you can do good. Um, so, or even like team docs, you know, if you've got, if you've got a, an ortho team doc, um, they might not be great at airways, but I guarantee you, they probably know an anesthesiologist who's fabulous at airways or a, um, an ER doc who can, who can help you out as well. Um, kind of, that's all just where relationships go and, and just reaching out and asking those questions. I, I know as a first you know, first few year athletic trainer, it's, it's intimidating maybe to go talk to your team doc and, and, and ask, ask those questions, but just going up and saying, Hey doc, you you know, I understand airways are important. Is there any chance you might be able to help me help train with train me on some airways? If if you can't, is there a way I can maybe sit in with an ER doc or, or something like that? And I've never had, never had doctors kind of turn me down. Um, they, they appreciate you wanting to learn. All right, you want to transition into the equipment that you keep and use? Yeah, um, so I, I um, you know, I didn't, sadly, I didn't bring home my own work kit, but, but um, I, I have a, a personal, personal kit. Um, 
you know, I, people call them emergency cardiac care bags. People call them, um, emergency bags. Um, I've, I affectionately refer to mine as an oh shit kit. Um, and it's come at the fact that when I say oh shit, because an injury happened, um, that's more than just, uh, I twisted an ankle or I blew out a knee. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I'm going to need everything that's in, that's in this kit. Um, so it's, um, it's got kind of all the equipment that we've already touched on. Um, but I can, I can definitely go through and kind of show, um, kind of show what I've got and, and discuss it a little bit and why I carry what I carry. Um, because everything's been thought of for more than just a few seconds. Um, it's, you know, this is, this is, oh shit kit version 18 and a half or something like that. And it'll continue to grow. Um, so it's all, it all just kind of depends. Um, you know, like I said, uh, a little while ago, never buy equipment or use equipment that you are not trained for and that your state state practice act does not allow. Um, I'm a licensed athletic trainer, both in Colorado and in Texas, both have very liberal practice acts that allow me to kind of do as I please with my, with my supervising physician. Um, so just talking with them, um, making sure that I know how to do everything. So I'll kind of show off my kit. This is my kit that I keep in my car, but I also use for PRN events. Uh, so this is it right here. If you follow me on Twitter, you've kind of seen it before. Um, my own, my other uh, work kit is a little bit more identifiable. Um, it's neon blue, um, just easier to see in crowds and things of that nature than, than a black bag. Um, but it's got a red handle on it. And then I also put red up top here as well. Um, just, just so I can say, you know, grab the red handle bag. Um, that's the pretty, that's the pretty easy thing. So up top kind of here, um, I've got all my vitals equipment. So I've got uh, a pulse oximeter. Um, great for getting a good idea of pulse. I don't trust these in emergency situations. I'm going to be doing a carotid pulse, making sure that I know where all my pulses are, but it's a good thing to have just monitor. Um, I've got a stethoscope. Um, I recommend spending a little bit more than your cheap $10 um, stethoscope from Walmart. Um, you, you'll be able to hear a little bit better, especially if you're working in loud environments like the stands. That's going to be the best thing for you. I have both an adult and a child BP cuff. I keep them separate. Um, so my child BP cuff is in a case because I'm going to use that probably a little bit less. My adult BP, BP cuff is... is um, is out because that's mostly who I work with. I work with mostly full grown adults. If I'm in a, um, if I'm working in high school with, you know, a lot of young freshmen or middle school age, age students, I might, might think about having this out, um, or identifying it a little, little easier to tell. I also have a glucometer, um, to test blood sugar, making sure, um, that it's got everything that it needs to, um, which is, um, lancets, uh, strips, uh, and, and then the monitor, I check this as well, make sure it's all good. And then I have just an oral thermometer. Um, I know that rectal thermometry is great when it comes to, um, when it comes to heat illnesses. Uh, I work in an ice drink. So the chances of me having a heat illness is very, very slim. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Very, very, very slim. Um, and so I haven't shelled out the amount of money, um, for a, um, for a rectal thermometer but it's definitely a recommendation of some form of thermometer, um, just oral or, or whatever it might be. On the, on the inside, um, you know, I care on the outside compartments, there's just gloves and stuff that, that you just fill up the pockets with nothing super special, um, biohazard bags, things of that nature. On the inside, um, I've got, all my, all my little things are in these little bags. I think compart- compartments are great because now once, once I have somebody bring me my bag, I can now say, grab the green airway bag, grab the red bleeding control bag, um, things of that nature. So in my airway, I talked a lot about the importance of a bag valve mask. So this is my bag valve mask. It's probably unlike every other bag valve mask that you have seen. It's a pocket bag valve mask. I don't know why they call it a pocket bag valve mask because this does not fit in my pockets. Um, but you just open it up like so, pull it out. Now I've got a full bag valve mask that I can use um, in emergency situations. Then as we talked about a little earlier, 
we have op uh, these are NPAs or nasopharyngeal Can you airways. Can up a little higher? Oh, sorry. These are NPAs, nasopharyngeal airways. Um, I always like to um, have lube attached to them. If you know how to use an NPA, then you know um, what what the lube is for. So you use lube, and then I always write the expiration date that everything expires on, um, just so I I know. Um, when I need to replace them pretty easily because sometimes the expiration date is pretty small on these. The other airways that I carry are OPAs, oral pharyngeal airways, which are the hooks like this. Um, you just slide them into the mouth and it kind of holds the tongue. Again, um, you need proper training for this, but these are um, OPAs are probably the cheapest airway that you can get. Um, you can buy, buy a set of them for two or three bucks, I think. Um, so they're pretty, they're pretty easy to get. The other airway that I carry is something called the eye gel or the, or, um, and, and this is a more advanced airway. This is still within the athletic trainer scope of practice. Um, but it does require some, some additional training and, and how to use it. Um, this is what's referred to as a superglottic airway, meaning that it does not cross the vocal cords. Um, so, um, intubation is the only airway and I guess, uh, surgical, um, tracheotomies also cross the tra um, vocal cords. Um, so this is definitely within an athletic trainer scope practice with appropriate training. Um, pretty easy to put in, um, and highly recommended as well. So that's all my airway supplies, um, for, for everything that I need to go on the sides. Like you had mentioned, I've got my trusty Sam splints. I actually carry two of these, one on each side. Um, Sam splints are great. Um, I, in some cases, they can replace a cervical collar and you can use them as a cervical collar as well. So now that's one less thing that I need to carry around. Um, it's a twofer. So Sam splints are absolutely great. I never would have thought My, doing that. Nice, nice little fun. As fact. a cervical collar? Yeah, I never would yeah, have thought that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's not the most comfortable thing, but in a situation where you need to have it, it's better than having nothing. Um, and, and it's cheaper than most cervical collars as well. And now I've got a splint and a C collar. So, um, the next thing I've got is my trauma bag, um, also known as my stop the bleed kit. So, um, I'll touch on, touch on this, but you mentioned a, um, tourniquets and, and real tourniquets versus fake tourniquets. Um, so the tactical, tactical casualty combat care certifies, um, um, tourniquets and there's a lot of fake tourniquets out there. Um, really the, the fake part is the windlass is not actually metal. So this part here is not actually metal inside and would actually snap off, um, if it breaks, um, thus limiting, thus not allowing the, the cat tourniquet to, to do what it actually needs to do. So in order to tell if your cat tourniquet is real or not is on the ridges here. Um, let's see if the light on the ridges, Next to the ridges, you'll see the word cat. Make sure that that's actually written there and that it's raised up. You can kind of see it there a little bit. On the back, on the little plastic piece, it's also going to say the word cat and, um, and, and be inscribed. And then the last thing that it'll do to tell if it's a cat tourniquet or not is it'll have a lot number, um, lot number on the back right there as well. So, so is cat the standard in terms of tourniquets or? Um, it's the most frequent one. The other most frequent one that I've seen is called a soft T wide tourniquet. I've never used one in practice. Um, but there's the, the tactical casualty combat care committee, I think has seven or eight tourniquets. Okay. Um, cats are, cats are kind of the most there. They were the first ones I believe. And they're, they're the most common. Um, a real cat tourniquet costs about 30, um, $30 or so. Um, so they're, they're, they're kind of the, the ones that you're going to find most places. All tourniquets work mostly the same. Um, so once you're trained on one, you should be able to use the rest of them. But of course, make sure that you're trained in your specific equipment. Um, another thing when it comes to cat tourniquets is being stored properly. In stressful situations, your fine motor skills are the first things that go. So I want to limit the amount of fumbling that I need to do. So I keep this little time cover. I keep that open. So that way I don't have to work on opening it up to get my windlass. So now my windlass is free and I can tighten it down. I also fold my cat tourniquets in a very specific way. So they look like this. That way I can easily open them up. And that's about a 12, 
12 foot diameter or 12 inch diameter circle. I don't know what leg isn't getting through that, but if it is, I can just quickly un, un Velcro and get where I need to go. Um, but for the most part, that that'll cover everything that I need it to do. So in order to properly fold your cats, it's real simple. You just bring it all the way down from here, pulling it down. And then I'm just going to cross over going up and down until I run out of space. Once I run out of space, I'm gonna feed it through that singular loop. And now my cat tourniquet is all stored and ready to go. Um, just just saves a few seconds of time when, when bleeding out like crazy. And I appreciate that fun fact that you put that on Twitter in the Wolfpack because I went to my school. I made sure I set mine up like that, just, yeah, just in case. You know? Yeah, yeah, just in case, you never know. Um, the other thing that I have in here is chest seals. Um, so these are hyphen chest seals. Um, these are for um, chest injuries. Doesn't necessarily need to be like a gunshot wound, but that's where they're most commonly used. Just um, any type of sucking chest wound where the air is bubbling out of the chest is where you're going to be using these. Um, pretty easy to put on. You just put one. I recommend a twin pack. So there's two because if it is a um, a gunshot wound, you're most likely going to have an entry and an exit. So good to have two in that scenario. Uh, I think I saw yeah, someone on Twitter said to keep your expired AD pads. Cause you could yes. use that. Is that, is that an actual legitimate thing? Yes and no. Um, so the AD pads can use um, something similar to like an ultrasound gel um, that to provide the adhesive. And so as long as the, all the AED pad is still you know, it still has adhesive, it would work, but I'm not going to trust my AED pads to do that. I'm going to trust a commercial product and have my AED pads be a secondary um, scenario if needed um, because I, I, I just don't want to trust. It's expired for a reason, and a lot of that reason is because the adhesiveness might have already dried up. Um, so so it's, it's a good – if it's all you got, it's all you got. It's better, it's better that than nothing, um, but I wouldn't trust it um, with anything. So another thing that I carry is called an Israeli bandage or an emergency trauma bandage. Um, this is basically a large ace wrap with a piece of gauze on it. Great for holding in your wound packing gauze um, and, and, and tightening it down um, and just providing a good, good amount of pressure onto the exact area as well. And then the last thing in my, in my trauma is just some rolled gauze. Um, you can use rolled gauze or specific wound packing gauze. Um, rolled gauze is a little bit cheaper. Um, so I've got that in here um, just for wound packing um, to, to be able to, to pack those wounds if needed. Um, most of the wounds that you're going to pack, wound pack, um, you could do extremity injuries, but um, you could do neck injuries and, and groin injuries, places where it's hard to put, um, hard to put a tourniquet in. Um, Stop the Bleed training is, takes about an hour, and most of them are free or pretty cheap, so I recommend everybody gets um, Stop the Bleed training. That's where they cover all this if your athletic training course did not. The other thing I carry in here is, is, is a gauze, um, a gauze bag. It's exactly what it is. It's just a ton of gauze uh, of different types, some wound wash. Um, the other thing that I carry in here is something called Steelox powder. Um, this is very similar to um, quick clot. It's, it's um, basically just a, a powder that will help, clot, help clotting agent um, quick clot is basically gauze with a protein in it. Most of the time it's shellfish protein um, that helps um, clotting. Um, and people hear the word shellfish and think automatically, oh, well, people with allergies to it don't need to worry about it. People aren't allergic to this specific protein. It just helps with clotting um, to stop bleeding in, in those scenarios. Celox is just a powdered form of that, of that scenario. Next, I've got um, OTCs. Um, over-the-counter medications and also um, emergency medications in here. So I've got things like my ibuprofen, uh, my Tylenol, things of that nature. Some things that, that other people might not have is I've got Narcan um, for opioid overdoses. Um, I, it's, it's highly recommended. Most states have a Good Samaritan Opioid Overdose Practice Act where you can go to a pharmacy and get Narcan yourself. Um, I also have um, an EpiPen and then... Um, I have uh, glucose for my diabetic emergencies as well. 
um, all things that are that are pretty good. I recommend the glucose gel over the tabs just because it can get absorbed a little bit easier. Um, in order to give these patients must be able to chew and swallow um, the tabs with the gel. It must they must just be able to swallow it. Um, so let's say they have they go diabetic low and they've got a blow to the jaw or or they're missing teeth or whatnot. I just have to be able to to squeeze this in and get get them in for it as well. Um, so I highly recommend the gel over the tabs, um, but I do carry do carry the, the tabs with me as well, just just in case. The other thing I kind of carry with me, and the other biggest thing is I have a personal AED. Um, I think all 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 emergency kits should have an AED in it. Um, this is this is the um, Heart Sign Samaritan pad. Um, it's more for generalized um, public use, not necessarily athletics, but. I got it. Got a pretty good deal on it. Um, so this is this is something to carry. Whatever your AED is, just make sure that it's always functioning. So you can notice here that I've got um, my flashing light. That means that it's um, functional and ready to save a life. In the back here, I've got my my monthly checks. So I do a monthly check to make sure and document that that my AED is good. I also do a check if I'm going to a PRN event. Um, I also make check it and make sure that it's documented there as well. I've got a towel, like I mentioned, always making sure that you've got a towel to wipe sweat off, things of that nature with. And then I've got a little, um, just a little kit here um, with a, it's got a CPR mask in it and it's got a little razor and um, it's got some trauma shears and some gloves and stuff in there as well, um, if I needed them. Um, so just just things to always include with your AED. Mine's mine's all kept in this this little um, case that came with it. So for the most part, that's my um, that's my that's the everything that I think an athletic trainer should have, um, kind of in their personal oh shit kits, um, whatever it may be. Um, I've got the the fun little tidbit thing that I've gotten here is I've got an OB kit. Um, I've delivered one baby in my lifetime as an EMT, and it's the most disgusting and messy thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, and I don't want to be cleaning that up. Um, so this, this kit rides with me in my car. So if I pull over and somebody's in labor, I'm able to help them out, but athletic trainers don't need that. So that's, um, that's basically what's in my, my oh shit kit besides, you know, biohazard bags, ice bags, things of that nature, gloves, figure your basic stuff. That's a lot of good stuff. And as he mentions two or three separate times, only buy the stuff you're trained in and the stuff that your state and the uh, practice act or standing orders allow you to do. Yes. Yeah. Don't, yes. don't just watch this and then buy all this stuff and you're not trained in it. And then you go out there and seriously harm someone who's already in an emergency scenario. That's not what this is for. This is just a, just a learning educational video. Uh, <laughs> one thing I want to reiterate for everybody is that, for those big events, um, you get caught up. You got to prepare all the kids. You got to get them all ready. Like Friday night football, you got to get 60 kids ready. You're talking to your coaches. Admin always needs something. You got to say hello to the other team, medical timeout, EMS. Make sure there's no cars, there's no vehicles blocking your emergency entrance. And I would even make sure that if you're the away team, I say, what's the emergency entrance? South side. They're like, all right, cool. No vehicles there. I have been in a scenario where I called 911 at an away game. I was the only athletic trainer, and our bus was blocking the entrance. Mm. So it, little things like that you don't think of, and then it happens, and the ambulance is on the outside of the gate, and you're like, come on. So just, yep. a, just a little fun tidbit. Well, I appreciate you sharing all this information. If, uh, if I'm watching this and I want to follow you on Twitter, what's your, what's your handle? Um, so it's Dylan underscore ATC underscore EMT. Um, I'm mostly active on, on that. I, as Tom kind of mentioned at the beginning, um, I, I share a lot of useful um, you know, emergency medical tips, tricks, like the, the tourniquet was, was something. Um, I also give tours of my bag. I've got a tour of my actual, uh, of my actual work, uh, my official work, um, oh shit kit um, of, my, of my other kits. Um, and, and, you know, just pass along, pass along advice, whether it be emergency action plans or, or things of that nature, how to write them, um, how to do a medical timeout, whatever it might be. 
um, just trying to, to spread the knowledge and, and things of that nature. You know, I, I push emergency medicine very hard um, because when it comes down to it, it's our athletes' lives in, in our hands at that, at that point in time. Um, whereas if an athlete has a sprained ankle and I'm not sure how to rehab it or I'm not sure how to, um, how to eval it or, or things of that nature, I've got time in a sprained ankle to quickly open up my old textbooks or, or pull out the Google machine and, and look something up. In emergency situations, I don't have that opportunity. I have seconds to, to make my decision on, on how to act, um, how I'm going to best treat my athlete and how I'm going to keep my athletes safe. So being, being skilled and prepared is, is really what it's going to come down to, to saving an athlete's life. Um, hopefully it's a scenario that you never need to find yourself in. Um, but especially for young professionals, I know a lot of young professionals who are very, very nervous about the first time they have to run out onto the field, about the first time that they have to um, call 911 things of that nature, practice, prepare, talk with your EMS, um, talk with me. I'd be happy to, I've called 911 millions of times. Uh, I've, I was 911 at one point. Um, you know, it's all, it's all just, um, you know, talking and learning, getting better. Um, I, you know, I've been, I've been in EMS for many years now. I've been an athletic trainer for a few years now as well. Um, and I still train, um, frequently as Tom mentioned, doing 20 minutes of CPR in 10 seconds. Um, just, uh, you know, it's just still practicing and getting better. Just like our athletes practice every day to get better. I practice every day to make sure my athletes' lives are safe. That was a compressed, he did 20 minutes of CPR, but compressed the video. So it would fit on Twitter. So it, it wasn't yeah, it was easy to do it. It's a, yeah. Okay. Um, one, yeah. one thing I want to bring up because we're talking about the transfer of care and sometimes it goes real smooth and they acknowledge that you're a provider and sometimes they're just like, get out of my way and I'm doing this. Uh, what happens yeah. if you have more of that hostile EMT paramedic in terms of a heat stroke, heat exhaustion, and you're attempting to cool the patient? So that's the one. So I, I think I mentioned it with you. I, I, you know, now is not the time for fighting. In, in heat stroke scenarios, I'm fighting. That's mm -hmm. the one scenario where I'm going to fight. Um, and, and, and the most, most EMS are, are going to be trained that way. Um, and if you look at the new 2020 guidelines for at least American Heart Association, they are in, in their, um, and I believe even in their healthcare provider courses, they are talking about cool first, transport second. That's the gold standard and it's starting to come to gold. That's been the gold standard in athletics currently and it's starting to, starting to grow um, in, other, in other settings as well. Um, so hopefully as more and more knowledge gets shared, um, we won't lose athletes to, to heat, um, heat stroke, um, you know, and, and it's, it can be hard to diagnose, but you know, that's where, that's where rectal thermometry comes into, comes into play. And, you know, as you know, it, it's, it's all about, you know, at some point you, you need to be able, you know, paramedics and EMS, they might, they might get mad at you, but if you've got data to back it up, if you can show them a, a thermometer and your thermometer says 104.1 degrees on it, uh, rectally, I'm, they're not going to, they're not going to fight you on that. Um, and, and I know that a lot of people hate rectal thermometry and, 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 um, don't think athletic trainers should do it, especially in the secondary school setting with, with, um, minors, um, because their, um, their administrators won't allow it, things of that nature. As athletic trainers, we have a duty of care to our athletes, um, in order to, to protect them and keep them safe. And if I'm going to get fired for doing rectal thermometry and cooling first, transporting second, then fire me because I guarantee you somebody's going to hire me like that in, 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 in the next day or so um, because, because I was able to do that for an athlete. So, so that's the one situation where it's worth, worth the fight. Um, and definitely with EMS, it's, it's worth the fight and showing what you've got um, and your skills. Hopefully, you know, hopefully as we continue to push um, the knowledge of athletic trainers, that becomes less and less of an ordeal and you have a better relationship with your EMS that that becomes less of an ordeal. Sadly, it still happens. Um, but we're, we're working and, and one of these days heat stroke will be, will be a hundred percent preventable because everybody will be able to work together. Uh, I, I think having a device like a data therm is just as important as having an AD. Uh, and I, and I think we absolutely should be using that. Exactly. Um, because we, and yeah. we see it, we see it every year and we don't see it once or twice every year. We see it, you know, more than a handful of times. times. Yeah. And that, what, what you, I know that 
if you're starting, you know, you're, you're a young professional, your early career, you're a student, there's a, I, there's a lot of things uh, you have to do as an athletic trainer, especially if you're at a high school, you're solo. I, I understand, but you need to spend time to call up um, your firefighter people, your police people, are your firefighters, firefighters, EMTs, a firefighter paramedics. Is it a third company, uh, superior type company, you know, bring those people in, show them around. This is our football field, this is our soccer field. This is our basketball. This is how you enter. This is what we're going to do. This is the tools we have. Here's our sign. This is what to expect. I know that's a lot of extra work, but it, it needs to be done. And that's going to prevent, hopefully, or mitigate a lot of headaches that can occur when it's go time. Uh, because when it's, when it's go time, it, the standard of care, doesn't, you just don't become this machine and you're just awesome. You're going to fall back to what you're trained on and those exactly. relationships. So you, you got to do it. Exactly. But, you know, I, I, I think the, the, we're all scared for the first time that we might have to do CPR. Um, and I'm going to use myself as an example here. I was even working on an ambulance. You know, I was dead scared uh, of doing CPR the first time. Um, and, and it, and it's happened and, and I had to do CPR and, um, a hundred percent your training kicks in. I couldn't think of anything else besides this is what I've been trained to do. Um, and, and, and that's, that's what you fall back on. And, and you know, it might seem like it, like it gets old and it's pounded into you in school, but it's, it's, it's a hundred percent true. It's a hundred percent real. And, and, and that's what can save lives. Just fall back on your training. That's why I practice every day. Absolutely. And you, like, let's say it's football. Cause that's, you know, that's the big sport. Everyone's everyone loves football. And when that Oh shit moment happens, you run out there and you go to feel pulse. You don't want that to be the first time you're removing a helmet and shoulder pads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you want to, you want to practice, practice you know? Yeah. And, 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 and going off of that, I, depending on where you're at and, and if you're removing helmet pads and shoulder pads prior to cease, you know, prior to boarding somebody or whatever it be, don't practice on somebody who's not going to tell you, you did it wrong. Practice with somebody who you trust to say, I felt my head move. I felt my neck move. I felt my body move. Have somebody who's willing to say you did not do that right. So that way you know that this, that I need to change how I'm doing it in order to practice. Um, because just having, just going through the motions, if the motions aren't right, um, then they're not going to be right when it needs to happen. Well, um, I thought this would be like 15, 20 minutes. I don't know how long we talked for. I'm surprised we haven't got kicked out yet. <laughs> Magical. But thank you for spending your Sunday night um, just, you know, just being passionate and educating and getting all this information and going through your own shit kit and talking about scenarios. Uh, I, I think it's, it's awesome. So thank you very much. Yeah. Have a great Sunday. Hopefully I see you Tuesday in the Wolfpack. If not, have a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. New Year's. All that fun stuff, brother. Well, have a good one, everyone. All right. All right. Bye, buddy. I'll see you. I'll talk to you later.